Praise God that He is a God of grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. If you would turn with me to James chapter 3, we're going to read 1 through 12, the sermon we're preaching today. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you a story. This passage is about the power of the tongue. And one phrase that's in here is that with the same mouth we bless our God and curse our brothers, curse men who are made in His image. And I want to tell you that I think that we are all guilty of this. But I wanted to point something out to you. I received an email this week from a brother in Christ who is a leader. He's part of a leadership council at his church. It is the Asian Christian Albuquerque. I can't get it right. It's the, it's the Chinese Baptist Church of Albuquerque here or there in Albuquerque. I work with a guy who's on that team. His name is Quan. I love his heart. Um, they recently lost their pastor. He retired, and so they've been kind of this transition period. And we've been supporting them. I don't know if you know this, but several of our elders have been going once in a while and helping by pulpit filling and doing a phenomenal job with that. And I just wanted to say that I got an email this week that blessed my heart. And I wanted to share that with you. Because rather than cursing our brothers, right, we could try to get them to come to Paragon, but we recognize that we're not the only church. There are lots of good, biblical, healthy churches out there. So they did a harvest event out of their church. Quan shared the gospel and a child got saved. And the parents were there with the child and agreed to follow up with Quan to talk about what that meant and how they could pursue a Christian walk as a family. If that doesn't make your day great, no offense, the hoedown is awesome, but that is awesomer. Amen? Let us be concerned with those that are around us. Let us read James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. If you cannot say amen, say ouch. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are they still directed by a very small rudder? wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also is the tongue, sorry, so also is the tongue a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell itself. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles or creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, 
These things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce, produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you and we continue our time of worship through the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would just move on our hearts. Let us see the severity of the the cause that James writes. That we may profess in one moment our love and devotion and fealty to Christ, and in the next curse those around us. Let us, with a deep sense of reverence and awe and conviction, humbly hear the word of God. Let us walk away from here more desirous for Christ and to make him known. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I'm going to dismiss our kids to head on out today. They're going to have these doors over here. See Miss Stephanie back there in the back. As they head that way, I'd like to invite you to keep your Bibles open if you had them already there to James chapter 3. And there's a couple of things, as Pastor Bruce has already mentioned, as well as Kyle. Kyle mentioned that song from the inside out, being the first one he ever did at Paragon. I started laughing. I was thinking inside my head, that is the first song I ever downloaded from the iTunes store back when I had an iPhone 3 and uh, was able to figure out how to use the iTunes store at that point in time because I love Seven Day Slumber and the version they did of that song. So I downloaded that album. But I began to also think about um, just the, the beginnings of where we are at. And if we go back to the, the beginning of Book of James, and just as we're walking through it and all the things that it's spoken to us, we've been camping out here for, what, six? This is our seventh week in James. As a matter of fact, we only have this week, next week, and the following week left as we finish up this book. We're going to be hanging out in these first 12 verses. And these first 12 verses, as Pastor Bruce mentioned, it's all about those words that we say. And even sometimes the words that we don't say. Our body language. And I was talking to my kids this week, and we have a deal that if I ever mention them in a sermon, they get a dollar, and they claim that inflation should drive that up. But uh, at this point in time, a dollar's all I've got. So um, what they actually said, they're like, oh, you're talking about the tongue. You're not going to talk about us, are you? And I said, hey, listen, I got plenty of stories on my own. I don't need to borrow any of yours because this passage is going to hit you right in the teeth, both literally and figuratively. This is one that is going to speak to you. And, and one of the things that I've noticed about this passage is probably one of those passages that, that is probably the most preached passage out of the book of James. When you just take passages and you don't walk through a book and you just take something, this is one that is probably the most preached in that way. So even as we start this new chapter in chapter 3 and make our way from, from faith works, I want to make sure we don't take these 12 verses and try and make them stand on their own. I want to make sure they're, they're not apart from what James is already teaching us. Because he's been challenging us really since the very beginning of this book, six weeks ago as we dove in, that our faith will change our hearts. And our hearts will result in a new life, and that new life will include new actions that glorify God. And this section really talks about how we say things. And what we say. The power of the tongue. The, the, the power of our words, the power of our ability to speak, both verbally and non-verbally. 
Because our body language says so much too, so we can't throw that aside. So one thing we need to be reminded of as we look at this passage and connect it to the last ones that we've gone through is this. Jesus talking back in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, he says this, either make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on that day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know we've covered this idea of fruit and the root, that they're all part of the same tree. But Jesus says it for, to hear, for us to hear, part of the fruit that we have in our lives is not just our actions coming from our bodies, not just the actions coming from our hearts, but also the words that come out of our hearts. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And I think each and every one of us know this already, but there are power behind our words. There, there is power that, that can uplift and there's power that can destroy that comes from our tongues. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18, 21 says these words, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's a bold statement. But my guess is that you've experienced the power that is found in our words. You've experienced the power by either saying something that you immediately regret or saying something that you're so glad you said because you saw the way it lifted somebody else up. Now, I don't really care what kids say about sticks and stones. Words do hurt. Words can hurt. And, and we know it because if you have a soul at all, there's been times where you've said something you wish you did and there's been times that you're glad that you did say something. Hopefully you've experienced more joy than you have hurt. But if you've experienced the joy, there's things that you probably still remember. Things that may have been said to you when you were just a little kid that still stick with you. But that joy that comes with it, the encouraging power, when you can speak into somebody's life, those words that take people far beyond their self-imposed limitations, it all comes from the tongue. There's power in our words and something that the Bible says, something that Jesus has said and has been quoted multiple different times from 1700s philosophers to Stan Lee and Spider-Man. You have to know this, this very phrase, and that is this. You already know it. With great power comes great responsibility. There is power in our tongue. Are we being responsible with our tongue? Are we being responsible with what we say, both verbally and non-verbally? What is coming out of our hearts does it match what we say is in our hearts? Those are questions I think we have to wrestle with as we look at this because that's what James is talking about as he talks about this, this whole idea of real faith speaks. But even before we can dive into James, I think we need to get a full background. A full background of what the Bible has to say about words and speaking so we can understand what James is actually saying here. So I need you in your Bibles to go back to the book of Genesis. If you're having trouble finding it, it's the very first one. Very first one, and in there, you're going to just go three verses in, and you will see the power of words begin. Genesis chapter 1, 
verse 3, an all-important foundation for us to build on is this. God speaks. God speaks. There are power in words, and God is the first one to display it. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. This little phrase, then God said, comes before each thing that God creates. Even before he creates humanity, he said, then God said. We need to recognize that God created all things by the power of his word. There are power, or that is, that is the, the true power that is behind our words. God uses not only this words to, to create, but he also uses the power of his words to reveal. He, he reveals to, to us himself. He reveals to us his plans. If you just go a handful of ver- more verses into Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says this. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls in the earth. So God gives Adam and Eve their purpose for existing. Humans, before they were even into the the fall and post-sin and all the effects that sin brought, they needed a voice outside of themselves to tell them what they were created to do. And God is the one who revealed their purpose. He reveals their purpose. You know what it was? It was to make babies and rule the earth. How awesome of a purpose is that? That's all they had to do. Make babies, rule the earth. And not only that, he gives them the ability to speak to him and praise him and worship him and have a relationship with him and also be able to praise and worship um, in, in all of that, be able to have their own relationship as well. There was a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. He laid all this out. Then, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we see God's words also command. He gives a command through his words. And these command is this, in verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Can I say this? God does not waste words. He doesn't waste words. His words are valuable and incredibly important for us to listen to. And I think God highly values his words. And because of that, he highly values our words as well. He highly values what we have to say. God creates with his words. He reveals himself and his plans with his words. He, he commands with his words. But not only that, in all of that that he does, God also speaks to himself. God speaks to himself. And that may sound strange because God is one, but God is also three. Now, I know that our youth in their Bible study on Sunday mornings uh, with Bob Cote have been talking about the Holy Trinity. And in their class, this is basically what they've been learning. And that is the fact that there is only one true living God. But the amazing doctrine that's found in the Holy Trinity that, that God has revealed in his word tells us that God is one in essence, but three in persons. As a matter of fact, Genesis one twenty six going back, speaks to this reality. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Obviously, I emphasize the word us and our as I read that. 
which lets us know there's more than one person in play here. The good thing for us is this, is that the New Testament speaks more to this idea of the Trinity as God speaks to himself. John 15, 15, the Father speaks to the Son. And then the Son teaches the disciples. Jesus actually says this, everything I have heard from my Father, which he hears, he then shares verbally with his disciples. John 17, 1, when Jesus speaks to the Father in prayer, he says, says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So God clearly speaks to himself. That makes these words even much more important. If God's going to speak to himself and he doesn't waste words, here's where we're at. But here's the problem. God isn't the only one who speaks. You know who else speaks in the book of Genesis? Satan. Satan also speaks. In Genesis 3.1, this is what we read. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? What we need to do is we need to recognize as we're looking at this whole layout, the foundation of, of the power of words, that we need to recognize the cunning and deceptive words of the serpent. Just as much as we need to recognize the words of God, we need to recognize the words of the serpent as well. Satan's word will twist God's word. It will distort God's word. It will contradict God's word. Actually, let's continue that passage in Genesis 3. We read verse 1. Let's go to verse 2 where it says this. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat or touch it or you will die. Did God ever say anything about touching it? No, he didn't. Weird how we also twist and distort God's word. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we've already said it, but there's power in the words that we use and how we use them is important, not only because they can be used in many good ways to speak life and to create good things, but also because our words can distort and twist and damage and be used in many different evil ways. Having that foundation in place is what brings us to James chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open, James chapter 3, you're going to see that not only God speaks and not only Satan speaks, but we speak. We speak. As we begin to look at James, he wants us to recognize some things about the words that we say and the words even that, that he says about words themselves. The first thing that James wants us to recognize is this. There is great responsibility of teaching God's word. You heard Pastor Bruce read it up front. He said this in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. James wants his readers to know that you better take great care and great prayer before, before you become a teacher of God. As a matter of fact, we had an elders meeting this week as we are preparing to lead uh, the church and the congregation in ordaining pastor bruce as a minister of the gospel but we don't take it lightly it's not something you just flippantly do i know you can get ordained online but tell me that that's wrong please tell me that's wrong because it is thank you appreciate that yeah we're gonna have a little conversation here it is completely against because this idea you don't do this flippantly you don't just do it so you can marry somebody you don't just do it so you can sign a wedding license you don't just do it so you can bury somebody 
It's so much more than that. It's a calling of God on your life, and that calling is going to lead to a stricter, um, uh, really, judgment by God, according to this verse. Now, what's James talking about here? He's really kind of talking about the official capacity of being a teacher of the Word of God. But if you take a step back and you look at Matthew chapter 28, what does Jesus tell us to do? He says to go and make disciples. What's the next word he says? Teaching them to obey all the commands. Teaching them. So if you are a follower of God, according to the commands we've been given by the word of God, we're all teachers. We're all ones who are taking this. So we need to take great care in the words that we say. Teaching God's word is to be taken seriously because it is a great responsibility. And those who teach God's word, again, will receive a stricter judgment. When they stand before Christ, even as his children, we're going to be judged by what we say. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, a passage we looked at up front, says, I tell you that on that day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I'll tell you as a pastor, I take this very seriously. I take it very seriously. I don't take my role in this church lightly, and I don't take it flippantly. But the problem today is there's a lot of false teachers. There's a lot of false teachers that are out there trying to make their name famous, and make their bank account large. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm not going to call out any names in particular, but I was reading an article by one of the famous, uh, we, we might call them health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel people, said, no, God's desires for every single one of us to be extremely wealthy. He, that was the quote out of his mouth. I've heard other things. As a matter of fact, I read an article, I don't know who the guy was, but he said the reason why Jesus hasn't come back is because the donations in the church is down. That's what he said. And I'm like, well, I mean, we are doing a building campaign, so I wonder if I could use that. You know, <laughs> seriously, there's just something completely and totally wrong with that way of thinking. There's a, there's a twisted way of thinking, and I truly believe that false teachers who speak lies and distort the word of God and are cunning and deceptive like Satan will be condemned to hell. I truly believe that because they have completely taken Jesus out of the picture and put themselves in there. But on the other hand, for those who are in Christ, our words, our words have eternal significance. Christ himself will reward our faithfulness and that will be the basis on the, or based on partly with the words that we've spoken. This is where we're going to find ourselves at. James is saying, think of the eternal ramifications before you start teaching the word of God. Think of it. And when you do sign up to teach the word of God, teach the word of God. Don't teach what your version of the Word of God is. Don't teach what you might think. It says teach the Word of God, and that alone is what we should teach. James wants us to recognize that, but he also wants us to recognize that great potential of sinning in what or how we say things. The reason why James considered it so important to recognize the eternal ramifications of our words is so that we will recognize the great potential of falling into sin as we teach. Every human being, including great Christian leaders. I mean, James even uses the word we, if you notice that in verse 2. Sin in many ways. In fact, James says in verse 2 that only the perfect or fully mature don't sin in what they say. You want to look and see what the Bible has to say about man's condition of depravity in the words they say? 
Look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says this. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So those who do not know Christ, those who have not had a heart change, it says that their tongues are like an open grave. Their, their throats are like an open grave. Now I just want you to picture this for just a second, what that looks like. The smell that brings with it. The nastiness that an open grave would have the rotting corpses that are inside. That's what he's saying that our mouths are like. Now I've stood next to some people that, yeah, when they're talking, you're like, hey, wow, this is worse. This is so much worse than that. It's talking about that, that just nastiness that comes out. As a matter of fact, it starts beginning to go into their tongues lie and deceive people. They have snake venom spitting from under their lips. They curse people and they, they speak with bitterness. I mean, that is not a pretty picture that God is painting of the tongue. The sad thing is, is do you understand that he's right? Of course we do. We know. We've experienced it. We've been it. But the word mature that we see there in verse 2, it, it means to be mature, to be complete, or to even be perfect. As a mature Christian man, as a mature Christian woman, probably you've learned to control, at least to some degree, your tongue. James makes it clear, though, in verse one or verse 26 in chapter 1, that any man who does not control his tongue has a worthless religion. However, James seems to be thinking more about sinless perfection here as you read that. The man who's able to control his tongue perfectly will also be able to control his entire body, it says, which would mean you're able to keep yourself from sinning at all. If we could just control the mouth, the rest of it should be pretty easy, right? Possibly in theory, but look what James says next. He wants us to recognize something else that we've touched on. That is the power of the tongue. There's great power in the tongue. Verse 3 through 6, James gives us three illustrations to hammer home the point. First illustration found in verse 3 says this, Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. Now, I'm not sure if you're going to agree with me on this one or not, but I find horses to be amazing, yet very scary creatures. Some of you are like, oh, no, they're so cute. I have posters of them on my wall, and I have calendars and all that kind of stuff like that. Those things are massive. They are big, huge things, and I'm actually amazed by watching people be able to ride them. And if you watch, like, um, I, I grew up on the north side of Phoenix, and before the sprawl of Phoenix happened, the next thing next to us was the desert, and just beyond the desert was a real kind of rural town called New River, and all the kids from New River came to our school, and all of them were cowboys. They are all people who got up in the morning, they did their ranch stuff before they came to school, and then they went home and did their ranch stuff after. They all wore the, the get up. I'm playing dress up today, by the way, for the hoedown, but they all wore this kind of stuff for real. They, they, they did all the things. I had friends who rode horses, who owned horses, who did the bareback bronco riding and, the, and did calf roping, did barrel racing, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm completely impressed by your ability to control that massive animal. Because in my mind, even when I get on a horse, I'm like, this horse is big enough to take me wherever it wants to go, whenever it wants to go, and whenever it wants to throw me off, it will do that too. 
That's the thinking that I have. That's the fear really getting up on a saddle that I feel. But there's a crazy thing. How in the world do all those people who know how to ride horses and do all that, how do you control it? It's just a bit in the mouth. It's about yay big. That massive animal. Uh, As big as I am, I'm tiny in comparison. But in it all, they're able to control it because of that bit in the mouth. And that is what James is trying to say. By controlling the mouth of a strong horse, horse, we can control its whole body. If we can just control our mouths, we can control our whole body. But he doesn't stop there because one illustration wasn't enough for James in this one. Next, he says in verse 4, he says this, And consider the ships. They're very large and driven by fierce ones. They're guided by very small rudders wherever the pilot directs them. So James' second uh, illustration here involves ships. So I looked up some ships, and I just wanted to see some massive ships, and there's top 10 lists all over the place. But one of the ones I came across had some specs on it. It was called the SS France. This ship is more than 350 yards long. Now, for those of you who are sports people, it's like three and a half football fields, all right? So there's there's that. It weighs over 76,000 gross tons. That's huge. The rudder alone is 74 tons. Now, you might be thinking, well, that is a huge, massive rudder. But it's less than 0.1% of the ship's weight. But yet it steers the entire ship. Even though in comparison to the ship, it's small, it goes wherever. The captain turns, that is where it goes. Something as small as a rudder can control something as large as a massive ship. But that's James' point. Something as small as a tongue can control our lives. It can direct our lives. The things that we say can cause all kinds of issues for us as well as for others. And the last of James' three illustrations comes in verse 5. It has to do with a spark and a fire. It says this, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. I don't know how long you all have lived in the Southwest, but I've lived here my entire life, between Arizona and here. One thing you learn is when you go into the forest, you have to be very careful with your campfire. Because one small spark could light up the entire place. And it could do lots and lots of damage. Well, that is what James is talking about here. Before you know it, one small spark from your tongue could light up a blazing inferno and it will spread fast. But James isn't the only one talking about how the mouth is a fire. Listen to what it says in the book of Proverbs 16, 27. It says, A worthless man digs up evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 26, 21, As charcoal for embers for a wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. What's James' point here? He's basically saying, you show me a man or a woman who stirs up strife and dissension, who's a gossip, who criticizes everything that goes on around them because they have a proud and critical heart. And he says, I will show you somebody who has hurt lots of people in their path, probably starting with their families, probably starting with their own homes. Go back to what we said at the beginning. Think about what people have said that has positively affected you. Think about what people have said that has negatively affected you. Words hurt. And many of us, again, have been affected by them. In fact, some of us, again, haven't forgotten what's been said to us in the past. 
because the tongue is a dangerous weapon and can be used to do a lot of damage. Think about how it spreads, that fire idea. How many churches have been destroyed because of gossip and a tongue that has been out of control? How many families have been? How many, all of these things are all in front of us. That's probably why James says in 119, a verse that we focused on a couple of weeks ago, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, as you say all this, and as you hear all this, and he says it's impossible for us to control the tongue, it's almost disheartening, because as he says this next, it's our inability to tame the tongue that is the problem. He wants us to recognize the danger of the tongue, but we're unable to control it. That's what he talks about in verses 7 through 10. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed, It has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people from whom are made in God's likeness. He says, God, or I mean, humans can, can tame the animals. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you know somebody whose dogs are more well-behaved and better trained than their children? Because it's easy to do the animals. Have you ever gone to SeaWorld and thought to yourself, how in the world do they train that massive orca whale? How do they do the dolphins? How do they do the seals? How do they do... It's unbelievable that we can do that, but we can't tame our tongues. It's, it's kind of disheartening, like I said. James says the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. And he says we use it to bless God, and then on the other hand, we use it to curse people. Now, maybe there's something you've learned over your Christian life, and I know there's something I've learned over mine. It's this. It's easy to fool people. And it's easy to be fooled. It's easy to fool people, and it's easy to be fooled. We can seem so nice and gentle and loving and kind in public, but our families and our closest friends know who we really are. The truth is we're all in bad shape if we're left to ourselves. Despite what self-help books say, despite what so-called experts say, we cannot change ourselves, and that includes our tongues. That includes our speech. No man can tame the tongue because our problem is deeper than our mouths. And that's where James brings it back around. We need to recognize that our words are an indication of our hearts. That's what the whole book's been about, isn't it? That our hearts are on display in our actions, and our hearts are on display in our words. On our own, we are helpless. And we need to recognize that our words are a direct reflection of our hearts, and our hearts are a direct reflection of our spiritual condition. That's what he's talking about in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 3. He actually uses multiple illustrations. Fresh water don't produce salt water. Fig trees don't produce olives. Grapevines don't produce figs. A salt pond can't yield fresh water. Sinful words inevitably come from a sinful heart. So our problem is deeper than most people think. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at Jesus' teaching in the book of Mark, he says this in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. When he went into the house, away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding? 
Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach, and then is eliminated. As a result, he's basically saying all foods are clean. But then he says this next. What comes out of a person defiles him from within, uh, for from within, out of a people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and that is what defiles a person. Words that are evil, words that are immoral, words that are deceitful, words that are hateful, words that, that are adulterous, wicked, sensuous, slanderous, all the words that he threw out there, they come from within. They come from the heart, and that is the deeper, deeper problem than just the mouth. And that's what James has been trying to say all along, that throughout this faith journey, we are not, by the way, talking about and neither is Jesus, the, the organ that is beating inside of our chest. He's talking about the real you, the core of who you really are. We talked about this passage already in Matthew 12 up front, but I want to look at it from Luke chapter 6, as Luke records it as well. In verses 43 to 49, he says, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs are, aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The reason why I do this passage is because it's a little bit different right here where it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. He's like a man who built his house, dug deep, laid on the foundation of the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house, and it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Jesus said, listen, the words have power. And he continues to say that. I want you to picture this with me. Imagine a person that has an apple tree. But the problem is with that apple tree is it only produces rotten fruit only has rotten apples that grow off of it. He really, really wants to have red, delicious apples on that tree because he really, really wants to make an amazing apple pie, yet there is nothing going on. So you know what he does? He says, I've got a way to fix this. I'm going to go down to the store. I'm going to buy a bag of red, delicious apples. I'm going to take my staple gun, and I'm going to staple them to the tree. Does that mean that tree is healthy? From a distance, it might look like it. You might be like, hey, that tree's finally producing some good fruit. No, he just pasted some things on the outside to make it look good while the inside is still rotten at its core. We do that too in our own lives, don't we? We try and say the right thing to make us appear to be something that we're not if we are not followers of Christ, if he hasn't changed our hearts. He says, at the root of the problem, it is our hearts, our behavior and our speech. We can try to fool people, but they're rotten apart from Christ. Think about this. When our kids use bad language, what do you tell them? Talk better. Talk nicer. That's certainly necessary, but there's more than just the way we talk. It's that issue here. There's a deeper level. Jesus tells us our tongues are not the problem. It is our heart. We don't need a spiritual tongue doctor. We need a spiritual heart doctor. We need a spiritual cardiologist. And you know what? Praise God we have one. 
Because that's the next thing we need to recognize. I told you up front that God speaks. But I want to go that, take that a little bit further because not just God speaks, but God speaks to us. God speaks to the broken, the fallen, the dying, and the hopeless. And he does it through his word. And remember, his words are powerful. All of us are guilty and sinning with our words if we're honest. James, as we read it, if we stop right here, man, it could be kind of discouraging. We could probably be like, man, I'm just pathetic. The truth is, for the most part, I am. Without Christ, I am absolutely pathetic. But this is where the encouragement comes in. We need to recognize God's provision. He's provided in our distorted words, and He's just provided uh, even in the distorted words that we've heard and tried to apply. God speaks in creation. Satan spoke in the fall, but God speaks again in redemption. The great news is, is that God has the last word. God is the one that gets to speak into our life. He's revealed the word and he's given us a promise. Now I know there's lots of words that have been shared in your life, promises that have been broken, but God does not break his promises. And the more you listen to him, the more you recognize that you can find hope and healing in his words. Because in the beginning, right after the fall, in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God promised. He promised to send a baby, a child, one that we will celebrate, what, eight weeks from tomorrow. As we begin to look at that, we will celebrate that birth. And in it all, that child would be born and it would crush the head of the serpent. That's what it tells us. The enemies of God, they're a part of that. The Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. God kept his promise by sending his only son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem us who had broken his law. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died the death in our place. He spoke perfect words to all of us who have fallen short. And he died in our place again for our sinful words and actions. The beautiful thing is, he was raised from the dead. He defeated death. And he overcame the things that we could not by becoming the word made flesh. God has revealed his word of gospel wisdom. That's all the wisdom that we need. James 3, 13 through 18 that we're going to talk about more next week. I won't get into a whole lot, but it shows that wisdom and what it ought to look like in our lives. So let me just read it for you real fast. Who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom and gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag, deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every kind of evil. But... But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James talks about wisdom from above, but he's not saying what is that wisdom. He's telling us who is that wisdom. Who is that wisdom? 1 Corinthians one twenty four says Christ is the wisdom of God. And one, uh, 1 Corinthians one thirty says Christ became wisdom for us. As the substitute on the cross, as a substitute for our foolish words and their consequences, we imputed. I should remember that word from a couple weeks ago. We passed on. We gave that to him. And all of his righteous words and all of his wisdom was imputed to us. That's a beautiful picture. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 says, All the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. John chapter 1 Verse 1 and verse 14 tells us that the eternal word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. What they are trying to say is, is that gaining 
wisdom. It's ultimately about knowing Christ. The Word of God is the ultimate solution to our speech problem. Can I say that again? The Word of God is the ultimate solution to our speech problem. And God has always has the final words. James 1.18 makes it clear that He saved sinners by the message of truth. In other words, our regeneration, our being born again, happens because of the Word of God. Death does not have the final word. At least not for God's people. Because on the cross, Jesus defeated death and took us. Uh, he defeated death for us, but then took the sin of us and took God's wrath in our place. When Jesus returns, he will consummate his kingdom and he will have the last word. That's what Revelation 21, verses 5 through 7 tell us. It says this, as the new heaven and new earth come together, we will be sons of God. It says, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. So how do we respond to this? We talked about the fact that God speaks, Satan speaks, we speak. God speaks to us. What do we do? We, the church, speak. He has so spoken truthfully to us, now it's our turn to speak for him. We recognize our responsibility, one, to speak the truth and love to each other. We lift each other up. We were in Ephesians just a handful of weeks ago. It seems like an eternity ago now. We're in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's all about building up with our words. We need each other to grow each part into maturity. We need to love each other in word and in deed. But we also need to, as we grow up together in the body of Christ, we need to recognize a responsibility. What responsibility is that? To take the gospel, to take the word to our neighbors and our nations. The prophet Isaiah's life was changed when he saw God in his holiness and he recognized his own sinfulness in his own speech and on his lips. He saw God alone could cleanse his lips and cleanse his life. You know what Isaiah did in response? He said to God this, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. That was his cry. And you know what God's response was to him? Go and say to these people, go and speak the words of life. As we wrap up, I have a question for you. Is this your cry? Here I am, send me. Have you surrendered your life in going and speaking the gospel? How will they hear if they don't, if they don't have somebody speak it to them? If we don't open our mouths, how are they going to hear? That's what Romans chapter 10 is all about. Verses 14 through 17 says, if we don't open our mouths, people won't hear. If they don't hear the word of Christ, they will not be saved. That's a lot of pressure on us. But that's what we are called to do. So James is throwing a lot in this study. And I probably, you're probably like, my head is spinning right now. As I studied this this week, I'm like, I got too much here, but I got to do it all. I'm just going to throw it all out there or whatever sticks like spaghetti. Here's the part I really want to stick. This is the part I want to stick. Is what is coming out of your mouth an indicator of your heart? Yes, it is. So what's in your heart? What's coming out of your mouth? Because real faith speaks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for the words you've given to us. The words written, the words spoken, 
the words of life, the words of truth, the words of challenge, the words of encouragement, the words that will take us to that next level of maturity in you, the words that will bring us around to recognize what comes out of our mouths matters. God, I'm the first one in this room to admit sometimes I get diarrhea of the mouth and things just come out. Things that shouldn't. Things that are not clean. Things that are not uplifting. I I think about that acrostic of think before you speak. Think being, is it something that is truthful? Is it something that is honest? Is it something that is going to to lift somebody up as something that is necessary, something that is, that is kind. You know, all of these things come from my mouth and then other things that don't, other things that, that, that curse. And God, I want to apologize and ask for forgiveness. But I don't think I'm alone in this. I think all of us struggle just a little bit in all these areas. I pray that even today, as James spoke thousands of years ago, that we can take it and apply it to our lives today. It starts us first knowing you, allowing you to change our lives and give us that new heart because out of the heart is when the mouth speaks. Thank you for that spiritual cardiologist. May he continue to work on our hearts and change us to be more like you. We pray in your name. Amen.